Hey, this is Brandon J. Clack, and you're tuned into Game Changer. everybody, Brandon J. Clack here on all your social media platforms, and this is another edition of Game Changer. And I'm telling you, uh, this one's going to be a bit extreme because I have the one and only Pastor YPJ. What's going on, brother? Man, what's popping, Pastor Clack? I'm chilling. In Indiana, yeah. cold. Is it snowing outside? No, nah, it's chill, but it's about to. You know, it's that time of year, so we just ready for it. We're accustomed to it, you know, whatever. So at this point, you're used to the snow. Like, you don't have any issues with it. No, that's not true. I don't think anybody in this area gets used to it. There's people from down south and from other places that don't have it that think it's like tourist attraction stuff. Like, oh, I can't. I want to see some snow. But snow <laughs> shuts, you know, snow shuts down everything, man. I ain't never going to get used to it. But I actually, I really love the snow. I was just in Canada and I had a blast in it. That's because you got to leave it. So, you know. <laughs> Man, I I am so glad that I got a chance to have you uh, on my podcast, and I have just a ton of questions. Believe it or not, I did a poll about you, and uh, I've even got some online questions from people that really admire everything that you're doing. But why don't you just give us just like a brief background? How did you get into ministry? How did you come up with with the title YPJ? I mean, a lot of people may not know that. How did all this start for you? Uh, my dream was to be a musician, bro. That's all I wanted to do was be a professional musician. I started playing keys when I was 11, and I've been graced wow. to tour with Fred Hammond. I've produced and written with Israel Houghton, John P. Key, and a host of other artists, and I've had my own success in that area. So that was my dream. I didn't want to do ministry. I told people I was never going to preach. I had said it. I would really? never preach. But uh, unfortunately, when you run from it, that's when he calls you. So I always tell yeah. people, if you don't want to preach, say yes. Then he'll be like, I don't want you. But if you say no, he's coming for you. So I started preaching, man, on accident. It was a Sunday morning when I was 20, 20 years old. My dad gave me the mic to introduce the choir. Man, something happened. I just got the wow. blood. And then my <laughs> pops was crying. He was like, I always knew it. I just had to wait for you to see it for yourself. So from that point forward, man, I took over as the youth pastor of our church a year later. And this is back in the day when black churches didn't have youth pastors. We, you know, that wasn't the most you got of a, a black youth department was a like a youth Sunday where the kids got to do the prayer and read the scripture and yep, maybe y'all could yep. wear some matching t-shirts or something like that. But so I did that and it grew in two years from 12 kids to 300 teenagers. So wow. from that point forward, they started calling me youth pastor Jonathan. My mother said that's too long. She abbreviated it with YPJ. So they called me YPJ. And then if you get called YPJ for 10 years, that's your nickname for the rest of your life. So I was just talking to a friend of mine and and he was telling me, he was like, man, at this point, it's a brand. Like it, it's it's more than just a title for him. <laughs> I can't do nothing about it, man. So DW, Dwayne Wright made a joke at my church. He was like, now we're going to call him Pastor YPJ. And everybody's like, ah, oh, Pastor Youth Pastor. Next thing I know, man, that was my name, Pastor YPJ. So it wasn't something that I picked for myself. It was just something that people started calling me. And the next thing you know, that's what people call me. So here we are. Man, that, that is really, really cool. There, there's a, there is a unique boldness, I believe, that uh, is really heavy on your life. Can you talk to us about the freedom of being fearless? Because, I mean, at, at, 
And, and the cool thing about you is that you've got a lot of theological prowess to back up the uh, gigantic statements that you make. But how did you get this boldness on your life? Unfortunately, man, it came from isolation and rejection. And I don't even really view it as boldness. It's like the kid that always had to play by himself in the sandbox. He just created mm. his own game and that was just the game he played. So for me, I didn't know any other way than to do ministry the way I was doing it because my father taught me how to pastor, but he was never really an evangelist or one that travels. So I had to learn how to do that on my own. Every preacher, pastor, bishop, leader that I reached out to denied me. And that's a true statement. From the biggest to the smallest, I was like, you know, could you please help me? I want to learn about the road. I want to learn about etiquette. I want to learn. I knew how to behave and, you know, as far as just uh, interacting with people from my parents. But mm-hmm. my ministry, man, it was really a John the Baptist experience. I just didn't know no better. I didn't know you weren't supposed to put, cam- you know, camel hair over your loins and eat locusts yeah. and honey. Like that wasn't. So after a while, when you get rejected enough, you just develop this, this like, I guess, uh, whatever. It's that whatever. Yeah. attitude. like, okay, well, y'all don't like me no way. So let me just say what God tells me to say. So I just became my own man. And I was one that. I think initially when I was younger, it hurt because nobody wants to be isolated. Nobody wants to be rejected. But over time, I realized God didn't want me to have what everybody else had. And I just accepted it. So it it gave me the liberty to know that if you loved me, you loved me. If you didn't, I was going to be all right either way. So it just brought me to a place where I was willing to say whatever I felt God was saying. And uh, I think, you know, at this point, when it comes to circles, environments, et cetera, I don't. It's like, I don't want to say this to sound bad, but like I really don't care who don't like me. You know what I mean? It's like, I want to be liked and I enjoy being in good fellowship with people. But if a person is like, I don't like him, I'm not going to lose an ounce of sleep over that because I've had yeah. to go so long by myself that it's just you get used to it. You know what I mean? So I don't I got people say that to me all the time. Like, man, you're so bold and you just say what? I was like, man, I don't even see it that way. I just get up there and do what I do because I'm not concerned about rejection anymore. You know what I mean? So. Hey. I think that that's interesting, especially because in 2019, in my opinion, rejection is burying a lot of people, whether they have quality, self-security or not. How did you not die in that rejection? Was there somebody in your ear? I mean, that's a big phrase to say that everybody you reached out to, obviously, other than your biological father. But how did you survive that? Man, it was because of him and my mother. Like, oh, I was wow. blessed to have an incredible father. So, like, I know a lot of people have, have dad stories, and I do empathize to the best of my ability. But my dad is such a good man. You met my father. He's just yep. a really, really good guy. And he was a man of integrity. So the two of them really always kept me encouraged to the best of their ability. Then I had my older brother. You know what I'm saying? My siblings that were always supportive. So that family structure was good for me. Um, but my mother was really the one that put confidence in us. Like she mm. just always told us, you great. I don't care what nobody, my grandmother, my her mother, they just constantly beat us over the head with like, like you great. She says, you're not arrogant. You convinced. Just be great. So it was like when I started getting rejected by people that I thought were going to be, you know, mentors and helpful to me. And it really was on the preaching side. On the music mm-hmm. side, I had Fred, I had John P. Key, I had Aaron Lindsay. Israel. They they all embraced me. But on the preaching side, man, I'm no lie. It was just like, so now really? when everybody, people think like, oh, man, he know everybody. Well, people always want to be around you when you get hot. You know what I'm saying? Or huh. when you got something good going for yourself. I was told that I would never be able to grow a church in South Bend, Indiana. Um, I was told that you could never get over a thousand people to come to a service in that city. And I've done all of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, and we, we have over 3000 yeah. members now. So it's like, 
I never let people tell me what I can and couldn't do. Um, but you just, I think at some point, man, you have to make peace with it. If God called you to do it, then he's responsible to lead you the way you're supposed to go. The way I see it, Pastor Clyde, Israel begged God for a king, and he was like, I don't want you to have one. I don't want you to have a mm. king. I want you to just trust me, and I'm going to lead you out. And he was like, no, we want a king like everybody else. And at one point, I realized like I was begging for mentorship the way that everybody else had it, because I saw everybody else with a mentor, and everybody, and God was like, I'm not taking you that way. So when I told people that, they were like, oh, man, no, you got to have accountability. But I realized I already had it. My dad. Like, <laughs> I didn't need yeah. to go and look for it somewhere else. And so that's kind of what made me into, you know, the man that I am today. I do, like I said, I do empathize with those who deal with rejection. And I try my hardest to encourage them and build them up. But my biggest thing is don't let that define you, because a lot of times God is just trying to keep you from something. Another thing that I've always admired about you is this almost off of the whim revelation that you have. Like, for instance, you just did it and it didn't even move you how you just extracted interpretation from what Israel wanted about a king. And then you applied it in this everyday. I mean, that thing just slid off of you like like it was nothing. What is your process and study for, you know, young preachers? You know what? Forget the young preachers, the old preachers, too, because the truth is, you know, if you got to stand behind that desk, whether you like it or not, old or young, you want to know somebody's secrets. Man, what does that process of revelation look like with you and God? You know what? My dad gave me the best advice in the world, Pastor Brandon. He told me this. He said, son, I was 21. He gave me mm -hmm. this back before iPad, all that. He gave me a stack of books. Mm -hmm. He was like, I want you to read these books. And he gave me my first Bible, my first like study Bible. He said, I want you to read this Bible. He said, do not study these books or this Bible for a sermon. I want you to know God. He said, read this Bible to know who God is. Read these books to learn more about God. He said, and as you learn more about God, you'll always have a sermon. He told me that. He said, oh. he said, a lot of times people study for sermons, but they don't know God. And that's where topical preaching comes from and eisegesis where they'll see something and be like, oh, I'm going to preach on relationships. Then they try to make the Bible fit their agenda. He said, but if you get this word in you, it won't betray you. And so, man, mm. I just, as a kid, just started reading the Bible. Even when I didn't understand it, I would read it. And he told me this. He said, I'm telling you, revelation will come to you and you won't even know how. This is the second thing he taught me. He said, you got to commit to prayer. So I don't care what it is, all throughout the day, pray. Prayer opens up a communication line with God where, like, literally an angel of revelation will always distribute to you. But he told me this, it's your responsibility to hear clear. Because a lot of times God will say a thing and we don't process it properly. And I've done it, you've done it, we've all done it. We said yeah. it, we go back later and be like, dang, I should have said that. You know what I mean? But I knew what I was trying to say, but I didn't. So now I'm learning that when God gives me revelation to slow my pace down and just, like, make sure I'm hearing it clear. Maybe it's not for the moment. Maybe it was something I'm supposed to hold because he was showing me something about the room. Or, But the more you do it, the more you study, the more you pray, the more in sync and keen you become where you start to hear stuff right there in that very moment. So when you read about the disciples where the Lord told them, I'm going to give you what to say in that moment, you have to be very in sync. You know how people talk about how the Bible says men ought to always pray and yep. not to faint. Pray without ceasing. That's not possible if you look at it from the standpoint of, just like, you know, or, or to praying like, oh, God, I bless you. I pray. But it really is speaking to us a, a posture. You have to have yeah. a, a posture that's lined up with heaven consistently where your spirit is always in direct connection with God. to whereas he can speak to you and you can hear it in that moment. So studying to know God in prayer, man, has really been what's been a grace for me that I can hear stuff in the moment. You know what I mean? And it even even like witty wise, like I can see uh -huh. something in a moment and say something funny. But it's really heaven that gave that to me. People think I'm crazy, but it'll be like, 
I see something and it's like, man, where'd you get that from? I'm like, God told me to do that to just break the monotony. So that's kind of been my process, man. There, there is a, a very unique relationship that you have with three of your brothers that I have always admired. When I first met Pastor Kevin Duhart and you came to San Antonio and I mean just body slam my entire life. And uh, which is funny because I am, you might not even remember, but you told me that there was coming a switch in my connectivity with, with who I was under at the time. And you said it was going to be a younger African-American guy and he'll have long hair. He said, you'll have to watch his hair. You said it. Now he ain't got the long hair right now, but he did have it when I found him. And so I, I remember sewing money uh, because I didn't think I would get let into the Justice League because uh, it, it looked like there was some pretty rigorous standards. And I would say to myself, man, they're not going to let me in the Justice League. But, Lord, I'm going to sew and I'm going to pray that you give me something. And no lie, I now have three guys um, that I am incredibly close with as well. Talk to me about that relationship, you know, in a in a time where it seems like relationships are only used to get to the next level. How do you all keep your authenticity? You know what, man? That whole thing really was just like we got baptized in the fire together. I met Duhart at the Potter's house. We preached for the youth conference at Bishop Jake's Potter's house together. And when mm-hmm. I first seen him, I was like, this dude can't preach. Like, I just looked at him and judged him. I was like, he can't preach. And, man, he got up that night and wrecked that church. Like, I was like, man. this dude is nice. So he did his numbers, and I said, let's keep in contact. So he and I, we kept in contact. Me and Kenneth used to be enemies. We used to be fighting over the same girl in high school. And we literally almost got in a fight at a basketball game. We hated each other. And, and I remember her telling both of us on separate occasions, if the two of y'all ever met, y'all be best friends. He's like, never! And that's, you know, we both ended up being best. Like, after that whole situation, we got close. And then Jathan and I, our parents had been knowing each other since before we were born. But we met in uh, California when we were 20. I was 21. He's like 24. And uh, after that, my his mom was like telling my mom, they need to get connected. We never did. But one of his family members had a birthday party. We ended up at the party together. So we all got cool. Long story short, I decided I wanted to get rebaptized. I was like, man, I got baptized not 10. I need to get rebaptized so I can really, you know. And I thought it was going to be dope. So I had told Jathan and I had told Kevin and I had told Kenneth. And they were all like, well, let's all, get, you know, they were all saying, well, I want to get baptized too. So they all came to my city when I got baptized, and that's how we all met up. Wow. So we ended up getting baptized together in front of the people, and we ended up baptizing 700 people that weekend, all because of Jesus. what happened during that moment. So from that point forward, we all got baptized together. It was like we had this bond. So we started to build. I didn't know at the time I was getting ready to go through a divorce. Jaden went through one of the most horrible things he ever been through in his life. Kenneth lost mm-hmm. one of his loved ones, and Kevin was transitioning starting his church and a lot was going on. So we all ended up fellowshipping together, man, but it was like a lot of tribulation. So we just built that way. And from there, Kenny said one day, he was like, man, we like the Justice League. And he was just playing. <laughs> yeah. And so I put it out online. And the next thing I know, man, I seen everybody was like, oh man, that's dope. I want to be in the Justice League. And we was just kidding. Irisha Hilly was mad at us. She's like, y'all need a woman in the Justice League. Y'all need <laughs> And we just like, yo, we just playing. But for like, now, nah, them like my brother brothers, man, for real. Like, yeah. well, we call it blood now. So, I, you know, I'm just grateful, man, that I actually uh, have brothers like that. But I'm also, I told them, I'm grateful, too, that I'm not one of those guys like, you know, it's us three and I'm not fooling with nobody else. Like, I'm open to other relationships. It's yeah. just that my tolerance level is a little lower now. It's like, if you whack, yeah, one strike. <laughs> 
You know what I'm saying? But uh, that's how that whole thing came about. Man, that that is really cool. And I, I'm glad that, that you even mentioned uh, the divorce because that's a perfect segue. Um, a, a lot of people may not know that you are divorced. It's probably been a while at this point. And uh, I can hear in the spirit, like at least 500 women just high five is like, I knew he wasn't married. We still got a shot, you know, between you and Adrian Davis. I'm like, man, if I get one more DM about one of y'all trying to get, can you, the next time you see him now, nah, fam, I can't do nothing. The next time I see him, I ain't got nothing on AD. AD <laughs> is on a whole nother level. How did you survive that divorce? I mean, I can imagine nobody gets married thinking that it's going to end. What was that like for you? Yeah. Um, you know, that was one of the hardest seasons of my life, Pastor Brandon, honestly, because I don't think there was a lot of language for divorce back then. And really the only language for divorce was condemnation. It was like, you get a yeah. divorce, it's a wrap, you done. Because immediately when you get a divorce, people are looking for the sin. They're looking for like, who would you do? Did you cheat on her? Did you beat her up? It was not domestic. It wasn't infidelity. We were told not to get married by multiple people. It was just a union that should have never took place. And consequently, you know, it was a toxic situation. I also don't think there was a lot of language for how to make marriage work. You were raised in a PAW church. You know, all they talked about was mm -hmm. it's better to marry than to burn. Better, yep. better to marry than to burn. You know what I'm saying? So I just think, like, for me, I ain't have a lot of language for it. So when the, the marriage went down the tubes, uh, right before I got married, man, it's a true story. I heard the Lord say to me, this ain't your wife. Now, I was still mm. young. I was 20, 22, so I couldn't really disciple the voice of the Lord. Yeah, like, it's not your wife. So we get married. We married for nine years, man. I go to the courthouse. It's not working out. We just can't get along. We both ready to kill each other. It's just toxic. Mm -hmm. And I remember signing the papers. I walk out to the courthouse crying, like bawling. Eyes just, I mean, I'm weeping like no shame. I didn't even care who thought whatever. And I thought God was going to say to me, my son, I thought literally, I thought the sky was going to crack. God was going to be like, my son, I will hold you and carry you. I literally heard the Lord <laughs> whisper to me, she still ain't your wife. And I was like, oh. God. So in that moment, I knew I had to seek God in a different way. And I started to research yeah. and learn and get revelation about divorce. And it's not a good thing. It's, a, it's an unhealthy thing. That's why you got to really do your best to pick right. Or you have to fight to make that thing work. But um, I made it through it, man. And I think it created a greater level of empathy for me. That's why you don't get a lot of judgment from me. Or, I, mm -hmm. you know, correction is my responsibility. But as far as judging people and trying to make belittle them for the decisions they made, divorce really did make me a better man. It really did. And it made me a more empathetic person. So it was rough, bro, but I made it through it. And I know anybody can. Top two or three things that you would say to somebody who is recently divorced. To somebody that's recently divorced and they don't want to hear it. I do not think that you should date until you make sure you don't have any trauma. Because a lot of people mm. are dealing with emotional trauma that they have suppressions and things that have gone on. And they think that because they don't feel anything, they're healed. But, you, mm. you know, you could just be numb. You know, if you've ever had a tooth pulled, they make your mouth numb. They take the tooth out. You don't feel nothing. You can bite a hole in your, your jaw because you can't feel anything. And when you have trauma, it can allow your nervous system to go into a place where you cannot feel anything. And you could be like, well, I don't I don't feel nothing. So I don't care. I'm good. But there's residues that you deal with. So I tell people don't date because you'll take that toxicity that you haven't dealt with and put it in the life of somebody else. Your unresolved issues is not fair for you to distribute that to another person. And a lot of people are looking for healing in somebody else, but they end up hurting the other person that they're seeking healing from. So I would say until you know that all the trauma is out, until you know that you have the toxicity out, you probably need counseling. You need to do all of that. 
don't bring somebody else into that because it's really quite selfish, honestly. And then another thing I would tell people that are going through a divorce is you really need to find somebody that can mentor you through it. Now, some people would say, man, you know, how's that possible? It doesn't mean you have a one on one. You may have to find a book. You may have to find some webinars. You may have to find something that can really give you insider information instead of trying to figure it out on your own. Because most people just try to turn up, you know what I'm saying, and be like, I'm going to just yeah. move on with my life and I'm going to do. Then you end up in all the, I told I told A.D. one day we was talking. I said, mm-hmm. A.D., man, you know, the thing about being a single pastor after a divorce, I said, he ain't been divorced. But I was like, you got to listen to me, little bro. I said, man, you want to live right and you want to live holy. But the problem is you've been in a sexual relationship legal for all these years, illegal, and now your body is still craving it. I said, now, here's the thing. If you're not honest with yourself and you try to play the role like, oh, man, I'm just a man of God and God's keeping me. I said, you will fall. And then you'll pick yourself up and be like, I I can't do that. But if you don't get the proper help to deal with your sexual cravings and deal with your insecurities that come, you'll start creating a graveyard and won't even realize you did it. Next thing you know, you got a pile of bodies. And you like, how did that happen? And I know that for a fact. Like, I don't even, I don't have a problem talking about none of my, my trouble that I went through. You end up with all of these, these, these mishaps all because you didn't have somebody to really give you a blueprint on how to get through. So you need a mentor or some kind of system that can really help you to get through it. And, you know, get biblical understanding. Because Pastor Brandon, there's a lot of people teaching that Bible wrong about divorce. And they got people feeling Jesus. condemned. So that's just my advice. Very true. What what does it look like for all of the single people who are trying to be in a relationship or at least pursue it and have some form of sexual abstinence? I mean, I'm I'm trying to have I'm trying to refrain. But like you said, I've already had some encounter with married or not. It don't matter. But I've already had an encounter. And now you're trying to tell me not to. I'm losing my mind. How how can people survive that? (laughs) <laughs> it's a challenge and it's a conversation that people not having Pastor B and they're not having it because they don't want to be honest and transparent because your whole thought process is if I tell the truth then it'll close doors you know yep. what I'm saying that goes yeah. back to people's concern for whatever but if you really want to help people there is a measure you don't have to tell people your whole life but there's a measure mm-hmm. of transparency necessary to show people the empathetic side of who you are to say man I get what you're dealing with. The thing about your sex drive is I hear crazy Christians pray this prayer. Lord, take my sex drive away. Why would you ask God to take away something that he placed in you? That's like saying, Lord, take my eyesight. Lord, take my sense of smell. This is something that he gave you. You don't ever pray for God to take your sexuality or your sex drive. You say, Lord, sanctify it. In other words, God, it might've been perverted by something I did, or I might be going through this, that, and the other. I need you to sanctify it. When that happens, it doesn't mean you're going to lose an urge. The question is, what are you willing to give up to ensure that you're able to walk a life of purity? And most of us, if we be honest, we're not willing to give anything up. So if you're not willing to do that, the next thing you need to pray is, Lord, give me somebody that I could be with. Because you really can't have your cake and eat it, too, unless you're just going to grace your way out of this thing into the kingdom <laughs> of God. And you can do that. But the fact is, even though we are without condemnation, it's not without consequence. So you create a bunch of attachments. And, you know, Pastor B, one of the things that... I, Women preach this more than men. I want you think about something. Very okay. seldom do you hear men preaching about soul ties. You hear women preaching about soul ties. Women always preach soul ties. You sleep with him, you it's get true. soul ties. There's no biblical example of a sexual soul tie. You can go ahead and talk about um, um, David and Jonathan, but that's not the same thing. A soul tie is an emotional attachment. That's something that can happen without sex. Because if my soul is opened up to you, that means that I've given you access to my emotions. 
I can get a soul tie with you just talking to you. I can get a soul tie with you by giving you a lot of money and investing in you. So sex, though, doesn't guarantee a soul tie. People are debated. But men can sleep with a woman and forget her name. They won't even uh. remember who she is. But the question is, how come the woman is attached, but the man is not attached? It's because the woman is opening up at dinner. Well, you know, I always wanted to be a nurse and I have three mm-hmm. kids and I just, you know, my dad wasn't there for me. And the man is sitting there going, yep, that's crazy. Right. And she goes, oh, he's such a great listener. And then she has sex with him. But he didn't tell her nothing. He didn't say I was abandoned. I was this. I was that. He said nothing to her. So he has absolutely no emotional attachment to her whatsoever. But she opened up her soul to him. So that's why her soul is tied. It's not the sex, even though there are some chemical things that take place and some scientific things. But the ultimate attachment of the soul is the opening of the heart is when I let you see into me. That's intimacy. When I literally Mm -hmm. show you who I am, that's when the souls get attached. That's why. You could fall in love with a woman you never slept with and be more attached to her than a woman you in the bed with that you're married to. So it's like people really don't see the bigger picture of it all when it comes to sex. And I think that's why a lot of singles be like, I just can't stop having sex because they don't realize there's a lot more to it than just having sex. You know what I mean? I, I know I was all over the place with that. But- nah. No, I'm following. There, there is something, though, that I got to have you touch. Condemnation versus consequence. Uh, is it possible that a lot of people are just you know, reaping whatever they've sown or, or, but, you know, sometimes when you reap that stuff, it makes you feel awful. Talk about that dichotomy. You know what, man, a lot of stuff isn't random is reaping. And we're not, we're not, you know, this is true, man. We're not, I think believers feel because we don't have condemnation. That that means that we will no longer set ourselves up for consequences. Like example, if I go and and have sex with a girl right now, I'm protected Mm -hmm. and I don't, you know, I don't pull out. I just do what I do. And she gets pregnant, I could be like, dang, man, God, why'd you do this to me, God? Come on, God. And God is like, dude, I made men and women with reproductive organs. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if you don't have sex, you make a baby. It's not me. The baby ain't a curse. I'm not, I'm going to curse you. No, you were involved in an act that produced a consequence. So, like, now it's, it's, it's us saying, oh, man, God, you could have stopped it. We always want God to stop it, but we didn't ask him to stop us from having sex. We just huh. wanted him to stop the consequence. You know what I'm saying? So now it's yeah. like, what do I do now? So now I'm like, David, I got to fix this. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I got to fix it. Now I got to figure out it. And that just makes things worse. A lot of believers in the earth today are walking around and they're just really dealing with the consequences of their decision, but they're forgiven for the, for the sin. You know what I mean? It's kind of like yeah. if a girl, I got a question that I ask people. If a girl gets pregnant, why do we sit her down for nine months, but we let the guy get right back up? The sin was forgiven. But the question is, oh, man, she got that. Ba- well, the baby's not the sin. The fornication was the sin. So I have to make her suffer so that I can gratify my ego and my pride to be like, you're going you gonna to get this, but you can get him back on the base because we need a base player. You know what I'm saying? Oh, That's how we yeah. do it as human beings. That's condemnation. I'm condemning you. You know what I mean? But God is like, look, you did it. I forgave you. But there's not, it doesn't mean you won't. I got a guy who got AIDS, right? And he was just like, man, I just don't know why God did this to me. I'm like, Bro, you you have an unprotected sex with all these different people. You your consequence was HIV. Now we gotta believe God to heal you, but that was just a natural, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. people, they really don't know. God loves you, but it doesn't mean that we won't have to suffer consequences because of the poor decisions that we make. Yeah, I think that you essentially just told us that there is no way of getting away from responsibility. And um I think that that is uh the type of conversation 
that would really help people to really have some self-worth once you realize you're going you're gonna to have to own up to whatever it is you say, do, blink at, touch, grab, you know, whatever. It is what it is at that point. All right, I'm going to throw out a couple of names to you and try to have a one-word response. First thing that comes to your mind when you hear these names. All right. Kanye West. Genius. Can you just elaborate on Kanye West? I, I often think about you when I think of these Sunday services. What what does he mean musically, his conversion? What do you think about Kanye West? Kanye West said yes to God when the church stopped saying yes. And here's what I mean by that. We, especially in the black church, took away the one thing that made us special, the choir. God loves the choir. Mm. Pastor Jathan Austin says it this way. The praise team is responsible to lead us into the presence of God, but the choir is for everybody. Everybody gets a chance to get up and sing praises to God in a unified the fashion, he said, but black churches, and no disrespect to any of the white churches out there, because they have choirs yeah. too, but you know, we did it different. And he loves that sound, but we stopped, because we were like, oh, we don't want to be churchy. We don't want to be churchy. That's what makes Memphis campus so special, is y'all whole church became the choir, because yeah, God yeah. is trying to bring that back into the earth. So think about this. Before Kanye was doing the whole choir in the audience, y'all was doing that. So yeah. God was trying to release that thing in the earth to those that would receive it. But since the churches was like, we're praise teams now. God said, okay, cool. I'm going to pick him and I'm going to get a bunch of people you least expect and I'm going to have them sing in the wilderness. And people are like, oh, that's not church. Well, Jesus ain't church then because he barely seldom taught in the synagogue. He was <laughs> always in the wilderness. You know what I'm saying? So I think what Kanye is doing is just a young man who needs, to, I'm praying that he's rooted and he, he gets grounded and I'm praying that he's surrounded by people that will help him. But right now he's just so happy to be out of what he was in that he just want to praise the Lord. And the only thing that, yeah. that you have to do to qualify as a praiser, praiser is breathe. As long as you can breathe, huh. you qualify to praise God. So, you know what I mean? I just think, man, I think what he's doing is great. Donald Trump. <laughs> Interesting. Bishop Jakes. Pioneer. Jamal Bryant. Big brother. Uh, Michael Jackson. The greatest. I, now that's two words. Just say greatest. Really? Greatest. Greatest entertainer of all time. In my opinion. He's your GOAT. Man, I mean, you, yeah, Beyonce probably has a better show than him because she uh -huh. has more money, more pyro, more, you know, technology. But come on, man. The stuff he was doing back in the day was just unheard of. And I just think musically we haven't seen anything like that. So greatest. 50 Cent. Bully. Okay, last one. Matthew Stevenson. Necessary. Yeah, man. Everybody, this was Brandon J. Clack on another edition of Game Changer. Pastor Miller, do you have anything coming up that we need to be aware of? How can we find you? Oh, wait. Hold on. We got to pause. I got to ask you this. You had something you posted on Instagram, and Cardi B reposted it. What was that like? That was cool, man, because uh, first of all, I just thought, you know, and you know, it's crazy. Everybody tripping on Cardi. It uh -huh. was like a thousand other celebrities that reposted that. So really? And it was cast that I never heard of. And they had like 10 million followers. So my, my nephews and nieces was like, yo, little so-and-so posted your video. And I'm like, who is that? So I was, <sighs> I was blown away, but it was a bunch of millennial young rappers and actors and movie stars that was reposting it and it and it just was awesome to see that message because it was a message about the Holy Ghost. 
It that, was. You know got passed around. So that for me, Pastor B, the, the biggest thing it did for me, because, you know, obviously I don't know Cardi's, but the biggest right. thing it did for me was let me know we do not have to water down what we do. They want what we have and we don't have to water it down. So that's why I be trying to spread the message to the masses, man, because they want it. So it was cool. Your, I enjoyed it. Your Instagram account is it's not like just a camera turned towards you and you know you hollering it in your uh cell phone it, it's you put some thought into your instagram account can you help these sloppy instagram accounts that have good stuff but it's a presentation is all wrong man it's kind of like thanksgiving dinner you know how um the little kids have to sit at the card table but the grown folks got to sit at the big table and they say well it's yeah. the same food yeah but it's not the same presentation y'all get china man. we get tupperware and I think a lot of times we don't realize if I put a steak on a trash can, I'm not going to eat that steak. So people need to know, like, I don't want to look up your nose and see your boogers. I don't want to, you know what I'm saying? I want to hear your kids running in the background. I think a lot of times when we would take just a few minutes to put a little bit of excellence, excellence, people, I heard Bishop Jake say something. He said, excellence is never going on sale. And then Amazon came out and proved Bishop Jake's wrong because <laughs> excellence is available now and it's on sale. Um, so people don't know, like, man, just for spending a hundred bucks, you get a light a tripod, you know what I'm saying? There's some different things you could do just to make a more excellent presentation. Do you have anything coming up? Any conferences coming up? I know you're doing the young preachers thing on the word network. What, what you got coming up in the near future? Man, we about to get our own TV show, Pastor B. What? Yeah, man. So I got that coming up in February. I'll talk more about that coming up, but we definitely have yeah. Pastor Davis with his joint. And then um, I've got a uh, I've got a, a leadership and a training seminar coming up next April, but uh, it's gonna be crazy. Like I'm I'm, I'm gonna make sure I reach out to you. It's, it's gonna be dope. And then we got this thing called Integrate. We do we did our first okay. Integrate conference this last two months ago, and a thousand people. How many people? I, I just had to ask a thousand people at your first conference. That's first insane. one, man, it was crazy, right? We didn't do no promo like that. We didn't we didn't we didn't charge no registration. It was crazy. So this year we're doing it and. Still got to get the date, but that's what we got going, man. If anything else, I'm on the road. You know, I'm coming to your city. Come holler at me. And I, for those of y'all that keep saying, oh, man, I, want, I seen you at the airport, but I was scared to say something <laughs> to you. I'm like one of the nicest people you ever going to meet, man. Oh, man, hands down. Right. So, yeah, that's it, brother. That's all I got hands going down. You, you are like top three for my kids who they love to see every time because you're just so nice to them so yeah but please don't be afraid now listen don't like stalk him or nothing like that but yeah just at least wave hello <laughs> how can we follow you on social media pastor ypj at everything man at pastor ypj you look that up it's only one of me if you see another one that's a fraud account try to beat me so pastor ypj Absolutely. all right everybody this is brandon j clack again on all your social media platforms another edition of game changer i'll holler at you soon peace